odd pieces and parts coming together, but, but it's what the Bible has, and I feel like uh, some things that I felt like the Lord just kind of um, gave me to, to point out, and it's here in His Word. For some time we've been studying various scriptures and biblical realities about eternal things, about heaven, new heavens and new earth. We've been seeking to set our minds on things above, not on things below, and understand some of that are to come. But one of the things I realized is maybe um, a lot of what we've been looking at, I don't know if it has felt as personal as I think that it ought to. And so the goal for today is to provide time, space, and, and focus on some truths in the Bible that speak about our personal experience in eternity. Our personal experience for all eternity is the title of the message today. Just last night, uh, Whitney was scrolling through her computer, and I walked over, and we were talking, and, and uh, she was on a uh, uh, obituary page because just in the last few days, uh, a man who we know, a man who was married to one of her friends, I believe, growing up, and a guy that I had known through some other things, a guy that was my own age, Within a year or two, I would say, he was a businessman. He was a successful businessman, actually. It's done all around the state in his trade and by many. And uh, this man, he got COVID the same time that I got it. Within probably a couple of days, and I, I just remember being down in my little quarantine hole down there and hearing that this man had COVID. And uh, at some point, you know, uh, as the thing progressed, then we got word that he was on the ventilator. And that was back in July, and I hadn't heard anything since. And then this week... We got word that he died while on that ventilator. So it's been a while. And, and I say all that, it's not, it's not about COVID. It's about this. One of these days, you're all going to die. And we need to be prepared for eternity. For eternity. I want to just encourage you. Because even last night, it drove home to me, again, the importance of giving careful, soul-searching thought to what lies beyond the grave. And I think the Bible... Is where we go for the best answers, the only answers. And I just want to encourage you to give careful thought to your personal experience for all of eternity. You know, if we don't die first, one of these days Christ is going to come. We talked about that last week. And He's going to usher in the new heavens and the new earth. And He's going to bring with it His promised reward and repayment for all. Part of that includes a thriving life experienced by us who are Christians in a resurrected body and a new creation. So I want us to read together Revelation 22, verses 12 through 17, as we're thinking about our personal experience for all of eternity. Revelation 22, last chapter in the Bible, beginning in verse 12. Behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me, to render to every man according to what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes, so that they may have the right to the tree of life, and may enter by the gates into the city. Outside are the dogs and the sorcerers and the immoral persons and the murderers and the idolaters and everyone who loves and practices lying. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears 
say come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who wishes take the water of life without cost. Again, a little bit of a mix and match here. The first thing I want us to notice in verses 12 through 13 is the idea that in the new heavens and the new earth, there will be personal reward and repayment as comes. Personal reward and repayment when Christ comes. This is Jesus talking. If you have a red letter Bible there in verse 12, it's going to be in red. Jesus saying, Behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me. The idea of heaven. You know, new heavens and new earth, and when Jesus comes and being with Him for all of eternity, being in the very presence of God, the Bible speaks about heaven itself, if you will. This new heavens and new earth and redeemed creation as being a great reward for all of God's people. And it's evident throughout the Bible. I could point you, for instance, to Isaiah chapter 40 and verses 10 and 11 that say, Behold, the Lord God will come with might, with His arm ruling for Him. Behold, His reward is with Him and His recompense before Him. Like a shepherd, He will tend His flock and in His arm He will gather the lambs. Getting to experience what Christ is now preparing for those who love Him. And, and most of the time today, I'm just going to say heaven. Speaking about this redeemed creation, the new heavens, the new earth, the new Jerusalem, all of those things, being with Christ, the fellowship of the saints, experiencing unending joys for all of eternity, is going to be amazing. For every citizen... It's beyond even our comprehension. There are things that we do not know. There are some things that we do know. Heaven is the great reward for all of God's people. But I'm going to say something provocative to you today. Some of you may not even agree with, but I hope to give you some evidence for it. It's that the experience of heaven is not going to be the same, everyone. Heaven is not a one-size-fits-all, kind of like the baptismal robes up here. We're all just wearing the white robe, and it's just... Everybody kind of doing the same thing all of the time. There are differences. There are unique experiences. We will actually have our distinctive personhood and personalities. Though they'll be redeemed and refined and purified. We're going to have unique experiences in heaven. A guy named Bruce Milne said this. We can banish all fear of after death being absorbed into the all which Buddhism holds before us. Or reincarnation into some other life form as proposed by Hinduism. The self with which we are endowed by our Creator is His gift of life to us. And that self will endure to eternity. In other words, in heaven you're not going to be a dog. In the afterlife you're not going to come back as someone else. In eternity you will be you. I think that somehow we think we lose some things of our personhood and personality when we go into eternity. That self that is you, that is uniquely created by God, is going to be the self that is in eternity. And I'm going to say to you that part of that distinctive experience that we will have is not just because of our personality, but also because of our rewards that we Receive. The Bible indicates that we will be variously and distinctively rewarded by God if we belong to Him when we meet Him. Now, 
again, some of you may not agree with that, but I'm going to point you to verse 12 right here. In Jesus' own words, he says, when I come, I'm going to reward and repay, or reinforce the idea of wages, compensation, recompense, or repay according to your works or what you have done. Now, it's possible to read that verse in a couple of ways. Because later in, uh, I think it's chapter, uh, verse 14, it might be 15, where he talks about those who are outside the city. It's possible to read that verse and say, he's going to reward all of his saints, and then he's going to repay, like retribution, to all of those who do not belong to him. That is a valid reading of these verses, but it could be the case that reward and repayment for whatever we've done, whichever group we're in, that's what he's going to do. So the question is, because there are multiple readings of that verse, the question is, because I'm telling you that I believe the Bible says clearly that we will receive unique, specific rewards according to what we have done as Christians. Is this found anywhere else in the Bible? This idea that we'll be rewarded for our obedience, for our faithfulness, for our faithful acts as Christians? I think yes. Some say no. There are... Bible-believing Christians who go, I, I don't really believe that. I'm going to show you some verses and try to make my case for why I think that's exactly what Jesus is teaching here in verse 12. And I think he teaches it elsewhere in the Bible. Not only him, but also some of the early apostles and other writers in the New Testament. Here's a, a verse you can jot down, Matthew 10, 42. Here's one of the things that Jesus says to some of his disciples. Whoever gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones of mine, my disciples... He will never lose his reward. He will never lose his reward. So, number one, there is, in Jesus' own teaching, in the book of Matthew, the idea that enduring reward is available to us when we are faithful, even in the smallest acts of compassion. Now, if we all got the same reward, why would Jesus say that? Why would he even say that? Because we're all going to get the same thing, so really there's no point. Jesus is motivating faithful, compassionate acts on the part of his disciples towards other disciples, specifically in that verse, and saying, you will be rewarded for that particular act. Even a cup of cold water in my name. That's evidence number one. Second John, which only has one chapter, so it's verse 8. Second John 8, here's a verse that's watch yourselves. So that you don't lose what we have worked for, but that you may receive a full reward. Watch yourself so that you don't lose what we have worked for, but that you may receive a full reward. Now I take it that that verse indicates that our actions of unfaithfulness, where we are not faithful, can lead to the forfeiture of rewards that God has planned for us. So that's 2 John 8. He says, watch yourself. You want a full reward. Don't forfeit the rewards. They could be yours in heaven. Here's another verse. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 10. It says this. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Or Bema. Or Bema. So we talk about the Bema seat. The judgment seat of Christ. Now... 2 Corinthians, this is a letter to Christians. And Paul writes, we, we must all appear.
appear before this judgment seat of Christ. Why? Is, is this to sort out the sheep from the goats? Is this to decide whose name is, look and see whose name is in the Lamb's book of life? And those who are not, no, he says this, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each may be repaid for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Repayment and reward for what we have done in the body. Now, that last little bit trips us up a little bit. Whether good or evil. That seems to say that God's going to punish me for the evil. Many Bible scholars believe that the better translation for the word evil there is worthless. So it's looking to see what we've done. And we see it elsewhere that the idea that when we meet Christ, when we are at the judgment seat of Christ, He's going to look through everything that we've done to see if it's wood, hay, straw, stubble, or precious things that can withstand His fiery judgment. Now, I want to say this. The Bible teaches Romans 8, 1. I love this verse, and you should commit it to memory. Therefore, there is no condemnation now for those who are in Christ Jesus. This is not a judgment that even has the possibility of condemnation. If you're saved, you are not condemned. You are out from under condemnation. But we will stand before Christ, every one of us, and give an account for our lives. This says for what we have done. Last verse I'll point you to is 1 Corinthians 3.8. Am I convincing anybody? No one ever preaches about this. But pretty much just preach that we're all, you know, if you're saved, we're all going to heaven. But the Bible has a lot of nuances that we neglect. 1 Corinthians 3, 8. Now he who plants and he who waters are one. And Paul writes, and each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. He's talking about himself and Apollos and other teachers. Each one of us is going to receive a reward, not a generalized reward. Not everybody gets a participation trophy at this awards ceremony. Each one will be rewarded for his own labor. So, I think the Bible clearly teaches that we will have distinct, unique rewards in heaven given to us by Christ according to our faithfulness, our obedience, our acts of Christian compassion. Not things of the flesh, but things that are empowered by God. What kind of rewards? What kind of rewards does the Bible talk about in eternity? I love what the uh, old uh, pastor of First Baptist Church of Dallas, Luke A. Criswell, he's passed away now. He said basically you can lump biblical rewards into two categories. Here's the categories he gives. Possessions of adornment, possessions of adornment, and positions of service. Positions of fulfilling, good, exciting service for the Lord through all eternity. Where does he get that from? He says, number one, the, the possessions of adornment. He's pointing back to the different crowns. We're talking about he who overcomes will get the crown of victory. There are five crowns at least mentioned in the New Testament. There is the crown of victory, the crown of rejoicing, the crown of life, the crown of righteousness, and the crown of glory. And there are specific things and criteria to be meant to get those crowns according to the Bible. Alright? So, so, it's kind of strange, though, to think about we're all going to be walking around with different crowns. And if you're really faithful, maybe you've got
got five of them stacked on top of one another, right? But that's, that's the way he thinks about it. Criswell thinks about it as crowns of adornment. You know, you think about these Olympic medalists who get their medal. It's probably unlikely that they wear those things maybe past the first day or two. You know they wear them some, right? But, but probably they receive that reward. And then it is there, and it's something that is meaningful to them. It, it represents dedication and a part of their life that they have worked so hard for. And then they've received that. I, you know, I don't know exactly. I, we have to say there's a lot of things we don't know. But it does appear that there are these specific possessions and things gifted to us by the Lord that are a reward for our faithfulness. So there are positions of adornment that comes about positions of service. And I think actually this is the main one. I think, I think actually that the crown fits in with this, and I would blend these together in my own thinking. But it's the idea that in the eternal kingdom, in the new heavens and new earth, the new Jerusalem, there are some people, like Randy Alcorn, who wrote the big book on heaven, he says there's no reason for us to think that God might possibly keep on creating. Scientists tell us that the universe is expanding even now. And he says, you know, it could be that God picks back up and starts creating more. I don't know about all of that, but it is very clear to me anyway from Scripture that there will be exciting positions of service given to us based on have we been faithful in small things here? You could go, for instance, to Luke chapter 19, the parable of the talents. I think that this is a massive one that I look at and the one that's given five talents, and I was faithful with that, ten talents, whatever it is. And the Lord says, you've been faithful with that. And I'm going to put one over ten cities, one over five cities. Some have everything that they had stripped away. I think that's those who don't go into the kingdom. But Matthew 25, Jesus teaches this. When you're faithful in small things, you will be given charge over many things in the eternal kingdom. So our faithfulness now impacts our experience in the eternal kingdom. I don't know exactly what all that looks like, but I, the Bible teaches it's real. And I think this is a distinction, and this is a, an area that we probably need to think about a whole lot more. Because the Bible writers over and over, in the New Testament especially, Paul is a key one. He talks about running the race to win. To win that victor's crown. It's a motivation for us to think about that the things we do here and now are indeed storing up for us treasures in heaven when we do them faithfully. On which nights we're studying the treasure principle. And it's built on that very idea, the teaching of Jesus that says don't store up for yourselves treasures here on earth where moths destroy and rust corrodes and where thieves break in and steal, but instead store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. The reality that the things we do here and now, we will see the fruit of it and reap the dividends of it in eternity when we're faithful. I believe that is what the Bible teaches. And I hope I've given you enough verses to support that idea. Though I know many of you have probably never heard that or thought of it or even now you disagree. So, I'm right. Okay. Uh, <laughs> you can have it. If anyone wants to turn next week, I'm not giving it to you. But I would be happy to debate this with you. Uh, so, anyway, here, here's the deal. While our salvation is strictly a gift of God's grace that we receive by faith, that is salvation, that is who gets 
into heaven, or whether we spend an eternity in hell, that is by God's grace received by faith. But the rewards of heaven are in accord with our faithful obedience even now. So, let that be a motivation. Store up treasures in heaven. Think about how you're spending your time, talents, your treasures, where you're giving your heart to and your best to. Is it to something that's not going to make it through? The judgment seat of Christ. It's going to be shown in the light that have been totally worthless. And it's not going to make a hill of beans for all of eternity. Or we're storing up treasures that will last for all of eternity. So, say all that to say, I believe individual commendations and rewards in heaven are part of the beautiful uniqueness of what we'll experience in eternity. Next, I want to turn to uh, verse 14 for just a minute. As we're thinking about our personal experience for all of eternity, again, I think this bears saying, I've already said it a little bit with that quote, but that eternal life, so our experience in the new heavens and new earth, should be viewed and understood as meaningful existence. Eternal life, we should view it as a meaningful bodily existence. In eternity, you do realize you'll have a body. It's called the resurrected body. Just like Jesus had a resurrected body that will go on forever, so we will have resurrected bodies. You will not be in eternity some disembodied spirit floating around, hoping to catch your eyes from this place to that on a cloud. You're not going to be a spirit. Now, you'll have a spiritual body, 1 Corinthians talks about, but that has a specific meaning. You will be embodied for all of eternity. And I think that's meaningful. Because, again, our views of heaven are such that we're not really sure. It just feels like maybe something that's not too real. It's not too tangible. Over and over, though, we see the new heavens and the new earth. There are many things described in very tangible and familiar ways and language. And I will point you to verse 14. Those who have washed their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life. It's described with a tree of life and a city, and a city with gates. Now some say that's all symbolic, metaphoric stuff, just to harken back to Genesis. I don't think so. I believe, and there's good reason to believe, that there are actually trees in the new heavens, and the new earth, and the new creation. And you and I, as we will have bodies, we will eat, and we will drink. Now, I don't believe that we'll eat and drink to sustain our own bodies. If God does that, maybe He does it through this one specific tree. I don't think that's what that means. But I do think that we will experience things like trees and streets, animals, even though it says dogs are outside the city. We'll come back to that one for those of you who love dogs. And, and there's all of these things. Will you eat and drink in heaven? How many say yes? I think we'll eat and drink. How many say no? Well, that was born. All right. So, the Bible does talk about that God will do away with the stomach and food, but I think that has a very different meaning and, and realm of interpretation. I want to give you some reasons why I think that we're going to eat and drink in heaven. All right, here's, here's a couple of reasons. Number one, because Revelation says we will. 
He says there are trees and there are fruit. It says, and it's this, this tree of life, or some would say it's more uh, better translated, an orchard. Trees of life bearing fruit all 12 months. And that's exciting. If you have fruit trees, don't you love it? Don't you plums come into season? And then the pear, peaches, and then the apples, and then the pears. It's so exciting. And then, then they go away. And you're waiting for the next thing. And there are all these fruits, it says. So it's described there. And I'm going to say, I think that it could mean more than just trees, but it shouldn't mean less. And so where the Bible says there are trees, I'm going, I think there's trees. And I, I think there's fruit. And I think that signifies a whole lot more, but not a whole lot less. So I think those things are there. Not only that, when Jesus is having the last supper with his disciples, he says, you know, we're not going to eat and drink of this again until what? Until I come. He actually promises that he's going to eat and drink with his disciples. There's going to be communion in the eternal state. Not only that, Jesus coming and being united with his church is described as the marriage supper of the Lamb. So there are a lot of indications to me that there is going to be eating, joyful feasting, and tasting, even spectacular things, things that we've never even known here on this earth. So I think we need to get this, that we're going to have resurrected bodies. There are going to be experiential things that are very similar to what we have now. So, so the new heavens and new earth aren't just this totally weird, like, like if you move to Mars right now, that would be weird. It would be hard to get your footing. There are things you, I mean, I don't think there's probably fruit trees on Mars. There are all kinds of things that you just go, I just can't even see living there. The new heavens and new earth, the new creation. There's much that is in continuity with our existence now. I need to move quickly and say this. I think this passage also hints at that we will have meaningful exploration and meaningful and interesting adventures in God's new heavens and new earth, in this new creation. Where did I get that? Well, I can get it from several places, but I'm going to show you specifically. I'm specifically leaning on the idea there being gates that come into the city. And he said, well, it says gates to come into the city. Well, it says this in the previous passage we looked at. Those gates never close. So it's not a you come in the gates, then we slam the doors. The gates never close. And so there is coming and going in the new creation. Sometimes we picture heaven now like um, being trapped in a Bill Gaither homecoming sing-along for all of eternity. Now, hey, I like Bill Gaither as much as anybody. I just read you on TV. I don't know about the whole video because that's a long time. But, but seriously, there are people that, that view heaven as one eternal sing-along. And hey, let's just admit it. Some of you hate singing. Am I right? Just Some people say, I, I don't even want to sing for five minutes, much less all of eternity. Well, I'll tell you what. Number one, your heart is going to change. When you see God and you catch a glimpse of what's going on, and there will be singing, and crying out and giving gratitude in the best way that we know how. There will be singing, but that ain't all we're going to be doing for eternity. So why Bill Gaither homecoming sing along out of your mind? And think about this. There's trees and there's streets and there are gates in and out of the city. What all will have privilege to experience. 
other cities besides the New Jerusalem, apparently. There will be other places. The Bible says that we will rule and reign with Christ. We're given jobs, part of our world. Some will be over, maybe there will be governors, maybe there will be mayors, maybe there will be aldermen, maybe there will be justices of the peace. I don't know how it all works, but, but it appears that there is development, and there is work, and there is governance to be done. And the people of Christ are going to rule and reign with Him in the eternal kingdom. So all of that, folks, y'all don't look near as excited. Y'all look as, about as excited about this as sour cream and pepper jelly. I'm just going to tell you, it's good, all right? And some of what I've said today is going to be a little bit of conjecture, trying to think about how, how does this biblical truth, sometimes the Bible is cracking, the light. you have to do is you have to go home and kick the door and start studying through the scriptures and, and ask yourself, how is this going to work? I'd say there's nothing better to think about than your eternal home and what we'll be doing. Important. We've got to take some stabs and guesses at it. Main things that I hope to get across to you today is this. Eternity is going to be amazing. If we're with Christ. A meaningful life. Friendships. Some of y'all are doers. You're busy all the time. There's going to be no shortage of things to do. Your favorite thing to do is ask me to listen. There's going to be that in heaven. We're going to have a freedom that we have never known before. We'll get to come and go. I believe at our will. There will be fellowships and adventures. I need to say this, verses 15 through 17 as we close. There's also a warning that some will be excluded from the city. Some will not be allowed to enter into the gates. This is a stark warning and we need to hear it. It would be so easy to always rip out the heaven passages away from the hell passages to see that beautiful city in our existence there and not see the fact that some are not in that city. So look at verse 15 for outside of that glorious eternity, that glorious new heaven, new earth, new creation, are the dogs, the sorcerers, the immoral persons, the murderers, and the idolaters. Dogs, oftentimes, used in the Bible, could be talking about Gentiles, not Jews. Oftentimes they would use that word to male prostitutes. All right, so that fits along with the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, people that just lie. They, they would rather deal in falsehood than in truth, in deception, rather than what is right and true and beautiful. These will not be allowed to enter into eternity. Those who have identified their life with a sin, and I'm going to say something to you today. We've got this identity culture thing going on in our world today where someone, or many people, they connect their identity with one thing, specifically I would say with one sin, or with one sexual orientation. And, and that's a lie from hell, by the way, that you are what your sin is at this point. But people so identify their whole being with sin at times. And I know of no other area besides sexual deviance and those kind of things where that is true. I don't know that many people who would go around, I was born a murderer, I'm a murderer, and always. But the fact is, there are those people. And this gives not an exhaustive list of sin, but enough for us to see this that there are people whose lives are marked by an allegiance to 
for what is wrong. Their lives are identified with against God and with sin, and they are not allowed. And actually, it's a terrible picture. You think, well, what's the big deal? They'll just start their own little uh, community outside the gates. They have nothing. Shut out from what God has created. Shut up. God has created everything, by the way. They're left destitute. And in the darkness, with nothing. Being excluded from everything that is beautiful and good. Loss of joy. Loss of heaven. Loss of the sight of God. Loss of abundant eternal life. Loss of access to the tree of life and the waters of life. Loss from the fellowship of the joyful saints who will forever and ever celebrate God and His graciousness and salvation, but instead being repaid for their pursuing sin against God. Shut out. But folks, I want to say to you, verse 17, some have said is the most evangelistic verse in all of the Galatians, and maybe in all of the Bible. And it says this, there is no need for you to be shut out. There is not one sin, I believe, that not and will not forgive. Paul was Saul, who was a murderer, or at least an accomplice to murder and we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But in verse 17, you need to hear God's will for you. And it's not that you would be shut out. The Spirit of God and the Bride of Christ that is the church, here's what we say. Come. Come into citizenship in the eternal kingdom. Come to Christ. Come to life now, today. Before it is too late. Today is the day of salvation. I love it. Let those who thirst for God. If you have an inkling of a longing in your heart today. For this eternal life that we've talked about. You know what you have. You have a vision of what God has created you for. And your heart, your soul wants that. You are thirsting for what God has for you. Come. Come to Him. Lay aside sin. Come in to citizenship in heaven. Let those who thirst for God, who thirst for eternal life, who thirst for the heavenly city, maybe you're here today and you can say, all I can really tell you is I'm wrapped with the idea that I have sinned and done even some of these heinous things. You long for forgiveness. You are thirsting for your being put away and to be made restored and right with God. Come to Him. That's what it takes. If you thirst for those things, come. If you thirst for forgiveness and eternal life, come and drink freely of the of life. That invitation, friends, is for you. So would you bow with me today? Right here towards the end of the Bible, 